I want to talk to you today about prayer. We're going to begin a series called Home. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 17. You know, it's exciting to me every single week I'm able to look at that camera and through this amazing piece of technology, I'm able to connect with our church family in places like Texas and England and Sweden and Colorado and the Czech Republic, all over Los Angeles, around the country and around the world. Isn't it cool that we can gather together? In fact, will you say hi to your church family? Give my hand for joining us. We're excited about that. The last time I took a look, I think there were something like 4,000 people that monthly were online joining us. So it's possible there are more of them out there than we are in here. So we're glad that you're joining us. I want you to stand to your feet. If you're joining us online, will you do the same? We're going to read this passage together. This is the passage where Jesus, now remember, he's had the triumphal entry. He came into town, Jerusalem on the donkey. They were laying palm branches below him. He eventually goes into the temple. And when he looks around and sees people selling and changing money and paying, you know, selling the sacrifices, he uh, makes this statement. And I want us to declare it together today. Would you read it together loudly with me? Let's all say it. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Will you close your eyes? Holy Spirit. As we talk about prayer, Lord, we begin by inviting you. This is your house. That you would fill us today with a fresh revelation. Bread from heaven, Jesus. A revelation of what it means to be a house, a home of prayer. Lord, let me decrease and let your voice increase. And may we all walk away with a new excitement and passion to be people of prayer. In Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen? You may be seated today. Jesus said, my house, these are the scriptures he's reading, speaking from the Father, my house will be called a house of prayer. What I want to do is I want to dive into a couple of these words to give us a greater understanding. When he says, my house should be called a house of prayer, the word house is a Greek word, and here's what it means. It means a dwelling, or it's implied a family home, a household. So it's literally a home. When he says, my house should be called the house of prayer, he's saying, my home will be called the house of prayer. Now, the other word I want to focus on is the word called, because he says, my home will be called a home of prayer. The word temple and home are actually interchangeable there. The word called there is a really interesting word. It's in the Greek, and it means this. It means to call, it means to name, but what it means is a surname. So he says, my house will be given a surname. Now, what is a surname? Well, my name is Jared. You have a name. My name is Jared. But my surname is Ming. So my name is Jared Ming. Jared is, is who I am. Ming is who I belong to. So my surname connects me and identifies me with something. Jesus said, the house of God will be called the surname prayer. In other words, God's house is to be identified not as the house of preaching. Preaching's great. Not as the house of 
Serving. We have a lot of people here that serve. You serve and help with ministry. Man, we're excited, but it's not supposed to be called the house of serving. It's not even supposed to be called the house that's friendly. You know, this church, I often have people say, Pastor Jared, you know, higher vision is really cool because people are so friendly there. But it's not supposed to be called the house that's friendly. It's not supposed to be the house of preaching. It's supposed to be called, given the name, house of prayer. That's what it's to be identified with. Now, it's interesting because as you read the Bible, here's what we discover in the New Testament. Jesus was talking about the temple that was built in Jerusalem, but Corinthians says now that you and I are the house of God and that the Spirit of God lives within us. So if we're going to take Jesus' words at face value, here's really what he's saying, is that you and I are God's house. Everybody say, I'm the house. We're the house of God, and what? We're supposed to be associated with prayer. If there's one word that describes us, in fact, let me ask a question. What is your house associated with? If I were to go to your house and I were to talk to people in the neighborhood or I were to go to people at your job and I were to say, give me one word that describes Spencer or one word that describes David, what would that word be, what would your name, your house be associated with? For some of us, that word might be um, stress. Come on, we just came through the holidays. How many of you love Christmas until you realize you have to take it all down? Do you just not want to say, I hate Christmas? I mean, just not really, I mean, but you get stressed out. You got the new, you know, we, we, I, was, I was down at Vaughn, or not Vaughn's, but Ralph's, and there was, I, I, every aisle that I went into, there was someone from Higher Vision Church. It was New Year's Eve, and I was getting some stuff for us to go back and celebrate with. Everybody was stressed. I mean, we're stressed out. Is that the word associated with your house? Maybe the word associated with your house, if you were to ask someone on the job, hey, this is John, and what, what do you, what's the word that comes to mind? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxious. Maybe it's fear. In fact, the response for some of us when we hear that the one thing that God says should identify us is prayer, man, God, couldn't you pick something else? I mean, because I, I get nervous when we have to talk about prayer because I'm not very good at it. I mean, think about how many of you have ever gotten nervous when you've been expected to pray like publicly in front of people? Let me be honest, all right. Remember, I, I remember when I was growing up and I was a, you know, a pastor's kid, but I had to learn how to pray out loud. And I remember we'd get in, you know, be in a small group or a youth event, and we'd do a prayer circle, right? And so you'd get up, in a, and you'd join hands. And everybody would join hands in a circle, and then someone would start to pray. And every stinking time we would do that, the guy right next to me would start the prayer, which means that he would pray, and then the next person would pray, and everybody in the circle would pray. So I'm standing there with my hands, holding hands with these people, not listening to their prayer, trying to think of what I'm going to say. And the farther we go in the prayer circle, the more frustrated I get because the, by the time they get to me, they prayed everything that I was going to pray. <laughs> so my prayer is, God, forgive me for being so angry about prayer. A lot of us, there, there's different categories of prayer here today. Some of you, your category is, I'm not very good at it or I don't know that I'm qualified to do it. Or maybe you're in the category of, well, I've tried it, but it didn't really work me. Or maybe the category for you is, um, well, I, I know how to pray, but kind of lost the passion for it. And what we don't realize is that the one thing that Jesus said you and I are to be identified with 
this prayer. That we're to be a home, a house of prayer. But we all have excuses, right? Well, I'm so busy. I don't have time to pray. You know, I pray when I come to church. That's why we go to church. Speaking of excuses, it reminded me of this guy in the South. Can I tell you a joke? Is that okay? Now, here's the thing. It's the New Year, so you have to forgive me for all the bad jokes in 2015. We're starting fresh. I heard a joke about this, this southern boy from Louisiana named Boudreaux, and he always had an excuse for everything. And so one day, he's, he's driving down the freeway, weaving all over the place. A policeman pulls him over, comes up and says, Boudreaux, you're weaving all over the freeway. We're going to have to give you one of those breathalyzer tests. And Boudreaux looked up and said, can't do that. He said, well, why is that? He goes, because... Because I'm an asthmatic, and I could die right here on the freeway if I take one of those tests. He said, well, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a blood test. He goes, can't do that either. He goes, well, why can't I do it? He goes, well, because I'm a hemophiliac. And if I give blood, I might bleed to death right here on the freeway. He said, well, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to have you go back to the, office, you know, to the, the police station, and you're going to take a urine sample, and we're going to do a test. He said, can't do that either. I'm a diabetic. He goes, well... You know, then what, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get out of this car and you're going to walk a straight line. He said, can't do that either. He said, well, why not? He says, because I'm drunk. <laughs> that was a good joke. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know that's funny. Thank you. <laughs> Boudreaux had an excuse for everything. So what is your excuse for prayer? Because we always seem to have an excuse And what Jesus said is, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. You've robbed it from what it's supposed to be. Could it be that we're robbing what God has intended for us? We're going to dive into that passage over the next several weeks. There's some pretty amazing things about prayer that are connected to this passage. What I want to do today is I want to give you a big thought. Now, as I was thinking about prayer, and I was thinking about the words of Jesus, and um, this thought kept coming to mind, to mind, home, house of prayer for all nations. This year, our theme is into the world. You're going to hear me talk about into the world all year long, because I believe God is calling us into the world. You know, we're adding a new service. We're going to have an 850 service. We're going to have a 1005 service, and we're going to have a 1140 service. So if you come to the 1130 service, it's really close to when you come now. So don't worry, it's going to be okay. Okay, the point I'm making is that God is calling us into the world, but the foundation of who we're to be is a house of prayer. And as I thought about that and meditated on that, I kept having this phrase come to mind, and it made me think of my daughter, Macy. Macy had her te- wisdom teeth pulled a couple days ago, so she's been recovering, and, but at Christmas time, she was the only one to receive this special um, gift, and it was a necklace. And the necklace, when you pulled it out of the box, it was this little tiny home house but it was hollowed out, and inside the house was hanging a little heart. And as I thought about that, this keeps coming to mind as we talk about prayer. You ready? Here's kind of a big idea for the weekend. If we're going to be a home of prayer, here's what we need to know. Home is where the heart is. Everybody say that with me. Home is where the heart is. Now, when I thought about that phrase, I'm like, God, what does that have to do with Jesus saying my house should be called a house of prayer? And as I began to study, it's interesting, sometimes God will speak some things to me and say some things to me, and then as I study, I'll discover some amazing things that connect to that. And as I began to research and study, I found something that was really intriguing. The very place that Jesus was standing when he said at the temple, this is my house and it shall be called a house of prayer. If we go back to the day it was built and the day it was dedicated, Solomon, he got up and he prayed a prayer. 
And at the end of that prayer, that night, after they had sacrificed all the animals and had a celebration and the dedication of the temple, God visits him in a dream. And when God visits him in a dream, this is what he says. Go with me to 2 Chronicles. At the very same place that Jesus said, this is to be a home of prayer, this is what God says to Solomon. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13 says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, I've read that verse tons of times. I've memorized that verse. I've said it I'm hundreds of times, but I never really realized what was coming at the end of it. And I never realized that it was really connected to this passage of Jesus saying, my house should be called a house of prayer at the same location. Look at how it ends. God says, listen, if you have a heart of prayer, when something happens, look what he ends with. He says in verse 15, now my eyes will be open, my heart or my ears attentive to the prayers made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my what? Heart will always be there perpetually. God says, home is where the heart is. God's heart rests in the place where his people pray. When people have a heart to pray, God says, I'm going to open my eyes and my heart will always be there. In fact, maybe the point needs to be, home is where God's heart is. And here's the cool thing. You and I are that home. We're the house of God. So the heart of God will perpetually rest in the place where people pray. Home is where the heart is, or home is where God's heart is. So I want to give you a few thoughts about this passage as we look at it. Let's talk about prayer. Here's point number one. I'm going to give you two points today. You ready? Point number one is simply this, very simple. Pray first. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Pray. Very good. Now look what it says. We go back to Chronicles, and it says, in the place where... This is to be a house of prayer. Here's what God says to Solomon. When things go wrong, pray first. When there is no rain, when the pestilence come, when you have a trial, when there's a problem, pray first. That's not the way we do it. Normally it's like we act first and then we pray for God to bail us out. But God says don't act first. Pray first. But what do we do? We, we, we have to retrain ourselves because when we have a trial, we have a problem or something goes wrong, then what do we do? We act first. We go to WebMD. Or we call the therapist. We act first. Let me give you a great quote. Could it be, write this down, prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. Resort. Because when something happens, rather than acting first, God is saying what? Pray first. I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, here's what Paul says to the church. He says, rejoice always, and then verse 17 says what? Pray what? Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now look at this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to pray first. But what we tend to do is we tend to act first. Or, you know, it's the first of the year. And so what do we do? We plan first. Pastor, you've got to hear all the new resolutions I've made this year. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to start a new business. And, and what do we do? We plan first and then ask God to be a part of our plans. But when we see the Scripture, what the Scripture is trying to teach us is people who are a house of prayer that are associated with prayer, they pray first rather than plan, rather than act. Rather than, you see, what I think God's trying to say to us as we start the new year is that we bring prayer into our lives in such a way that we pray first. In other words, you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do rather than get in the shower is you pray and say, God, thank you for this day. I invite you into my day. And you get in the shower and suddenly the shower's different because now you're thinking about God and you're, you're starting to clean yourself all up and suddenly... Think, I hear God in the shower. Anybody hear God in the shower all the time? I don't know about you, but I hear God in the shower all the time. Maybe instead of sending the kids to school first, we pray first, and then we send the kids to school. Maybe instead of that meeting that we're about ready to have with the, the, the potential client that could change our company completely, rather than having the meeting first, instead we say to the secretary, hey, hold on a second, um, give me five minutes, and we pray first. You see, I think what God's trying to tell us is that we need to bring into our lives a principle called prayer, where rather than acting and planning and doing, instead we become people who know how to pray first. You know, that's how the early church began. The church didn't start and then they prayed. They prayed and the church started. They went back to Jerusalem and for 40 days they fasted and they prayed, 120 in the upper room. And then on the day of Pentecost, after 40 days of fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to pray and worship. And what happens? They launch the church. And the Bible says that they continued. After that moment, they continued in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. You see, so often in life, we're quick to act rather than to pray. You know, it's funny is, is, is we think that if we could just get the right information, if we can just have the right strategy, that all of that will put us in a place to be successful. But can I tell you, maybe God wants us to pray before we start the strategy and pray before we get the information. You know, there's been um, more books written on marriage in the last 40 years than in the last 2,000 years. More books about how to have a good marriage, how to, you know, meet one another's love language, how to spend quality time together. All these books in the church and out of the church. And yet, if you look at the world, marriage is in a worse shape than it's ever been in history. There's been more books written on uh, how to be a good parent. 
how to build up your children, how to spend quality time, how to tell them the right things, how to, you know, discipline them the right way. There's more books now in the last 40 years written on parenting than the previous 2,000 years, and yet we know that our children right now are not respecting authority, that our, our culture, that we see a decline like never before. Could it be that what God's trying to challenge us with is rather than to make our plans, rather than to get just get educated? Listen, there's nothing wrong with reading books and going to seminars and making plans, but maybe what God is saying is bring prayer into your life. Let it be a part of who you are so you pray first. Somebody say amen. Amen. Higher vision is built not on strategy but on prayer. You know, higher vision began not with some strategy session. It began in a time of prayer on a treadmill in Modesto, California. As I'm praying to God, God birthed Higher Vision Church. Have you ever thought about treadmills? They're really interesting. You run and run and go nowhere. <laughs> I mean, imagine someone walks by like, hey, how's it going? Good, what you doing? Running? Cool. Where'd you go? I'm right here. How was the trip? Didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I'm being silly, but the point I want to make is Higher Vision began in prayer. In fact, every major decision and things that we've done here at Higher Vision, everything that's happened has been birthed in prayer. It's not just been strategy. It's been pray first and watch God reveal to you. What does the Bible say? Delight in the Lord, right? And he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, when you and I begin to delight in him, when we begin, I was thinking and meditating this morning on some passages in the Bible. And you know what I love about the Bible is it starts powerful. You know what it starts with three words? In the beginning. We're in a brand new year, in the beginning. God's a God of beginnings, new beginnings, amen? But in the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve. He walked with Enoch. He walked with, with Noah. God wants to walk with us. He wants us to have a prayer life with him so that he can hear our hearts, so that he can share his heart with us. Oh, what would change in your life if this year, instead of making a list of goals, maybe you start by getting on your knees and begin to pray that we would pray first. Home is where God's heart is. It's interesting. Let's go back to Matthew. What I find interesting in Matthew is that it says in Matthew 11, we kind of, this is the way I thought, this is an interesting point I hadn't seen before. I thought Jesus came down into Jerusalem, you know, riding the donkey, gets off of the donkey, goes into the temple, knocks over the money changers and says, this is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. But let's actually watch what happens. Mark chapter 11, verse 11 says, so when Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, and that word temple we're going to talk about in the Greek here in a minute. After looking around carefully at everything, Jesus came into Jerusalem, went into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve. Now, we're going to skip some verses, and we're going to go to verse 15. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. And we know that he ends up saying, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus didn't walk into the temple, look around, and just said, my house should be a house of prayer. Here's what he did. He came in, and he took a look around. He looked carefully. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if someone walked into your house and started looking around carefully? 
Now, what we think Jesus did was that he walked into the, the, the holy place or near the holy of holies. But did you know that the temple that in the time of Jesus was 35 acres and that there were many different courts? In fact, the Gentile court was a large area. That's where Gentiles would come and call out to the one true God. There was the area where they actually offered sacrifices. Um, and, you know, many times when we hear the story of Jesus, we think he came in and he saw them making money in the house of God. He's like, get out of here. What are you doing? And we're like, go, Jesus, all those greedy people. Listen, they were there doing what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be there. They were needed there. You know why they were needed there? Because there were people who were coming from all over the world to God's house to offer sacrifice, and they couldn't bring their animals to sacrifice because one would get hurt or get injured along the way, and so they needed to, get, they would need to be there and get one there that was, you know, pure and without spot or blemish so they could offer it as a sacrifice to God. They were just doing what was needed. They were serving in God's house. But here's the problem. Jesus began to look carefully, and here's what I think he began to see. I think as Jesus began to, in fact, the word temple, when he came into the temple, it's a word that's a, a common word for temple. The word for holy of holies was a different word, and it wasn't used here. So many theologians believe that Jesus was out by the, the, the money changers. He was out by the Gentile court. He wasn't in the holy of holies. And as he began to take a look around, let me ask you a question. What would Jesus say about your house if he came and started looking around? I think what Jesus saw was simply this. I think he saw that there were a lot of people who were not praying first. Instead of being people who pray first, they were people that were me first. And that, I think, is the issue when it comes to why we're not a home of prayer. Because we're me first rather than pray first. What do I mean by that? Well, the people were there, and here's what they were doing. They were selling, and they were helping people, but they were, of course, we're, there was a lot of corruption in it, and they were charging more than they should, and they are giving animals that weren't qualified, and there was a lot going on. But they were just good people that were serving in God's house, trying to make a buck so that they could provide for their families. And what happens is you and I get so caught up in the daily routine of life, making a buck, buck trying to provide for our families, that the priorities shift instead of being a priority of prayer it becomes a priority of me that's why when jesus taught us to pray what did he say begin with our father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven not my will and i think the the concept of prayer is god saying rather than me first why don't you let your house be pray first because that really ties into the second point. Because not only do we pray first, but secondly, write this down. The second point I get in this passage is humility first. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, Humility touches the heart of God. But when we're me first, not pray first, I wonder if we're really people who have humbled our hearts before the Lord. I love the passage in Daniel. In fact, this passage in Daniel, this chapter is where we get 21 days of fasting and prayer. Why do we fast and pray for 21 days? Well, Daniel began to fast and pray, and it took 21 days for the breakthrough. 
An angel comes to him and says, hey, I was going to bring the answer, but the prince of Persia was against me, but we broke through, and now here's your answer. And so we pray for and fast for 21 days symbolically to represent that we're going to take the time it needs to demonstrate humility, to demonstrate faithfulness, and to pray until the breakthrough comes. That's the idea. So look at what happens when Daniel begins to pray first. This is what the angel tells him when he shows up. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. In other words, it's not just about prayer. It's about a humble heart. As I, as I was reading through this story of Solomon, I, I found uh, the version in Kings had an interesting passage in it because here's what happens. Solomon shows up to pray where the temple is, the place that Jesus, 2,000 years later, stands and says, this is to be a house of prayer. So let's hear the prayer of Solomon. Can I show you something that's really interesting? 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says, prayer, or whatever prayer, now he's praying to God about the house of God. He says, God, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made known by anyone, or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands towards this temple, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. What's interesting is prayer isn't just about God's heart, it's about your heart. And Solomon says, when you come and you stretch your hands out in this place of prayer to pray, when we do that and we know the plague of our own heart. I want to talk about that for a minute. Now, we know that God answers, right? He visits him in a dream and says, listen, my heart's going to be here forever. Because if you'll pray and humble yourselves, I'm going to hear, I'm going to answer, I'm going to heal your land. And my heart will be there forever. He's responding to the prayer of Solomon. And here's what Solomon prayed. If we're going to pray and we want God to hear us, we need to, number one, know the plague of our heart. The word know is a, Greek, or is a Hebrew word, which means to know, but it also means to discover. And the word plague is the word... Um, Nega, which it's a Hebrew word which means a blow or a spot or a sore or a wound or someone who's leprous. You see, in that culture, um, there was a disease called leprosy. Anybody, how many here have heard of leprosy? So leprosy would be, suddenly you would see a spot, maybe it'd be on your finger. And it would be a sore, it'd be a, 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 you know, a wound, it would be some kind of a mark, maybe a bruise. And what would happen is that part of your body would lose its, its blood flow and um, you would, the nerve endings would die and it would begin to die and turn black. And you could hit it with a hammer and you wouldn't feel it. And the reason that lepers would have parts of their body literally fall off was not because they had, you know, um, necessarily just had leprosy. It was because the blood stopped flowing, and so they would hurt themselves. If they had a finger and they were doing some kind of work or they were, you know, cutting up vegetables, they could cut their finger and, and uh, not even feel it. 
because of the leprosy, because of the wound, because of the plague, they couldn't feel the pain. And because they couldn't feel the pain, they couldn't diagnose the problem. And isn't it interesting that when Solomon talks about prayer, he says that you and I should be people of prayer, but here's how we should pray. We should pray first, and we should have humility first. We should come before God and say, God, take a look at my heart to see if there's a sore or a wound. You know, there's a story about a man who was a, um, a doctor who worked with people of, that had leprosy in, in our modern time. And he worked with them all the time, and he told his, you know, the people that worked with them, hey, listen, make sure you, you know, disinfect things, but listen, it's not contagious, you're going to be fine. Well, one day, he was getting ready to get in bed, and he, he stepped down, and, and he realized his foot felt a little numb, and he kind of freaked out, so he went and grabbed a pin. And he took the pin, and he poked his foot, and he couldn't feel anything. He started getting nervous, and he poked the pin in deeper. Blood started to, to, to flow. He couldn't feel it. He was worried. He was, he was freaked out. Well, fortunately, the next morning he woke up and there was feeling back in his foot again. And so he had the habit of poking himself with a pin because he wanted to make sure he could feel the pain. Because if you can't feel the pain, you can't diagnose the problem. And could it be that God has said, I want you to be a house of prayer because if you'll pray first, if you'll humble your heart first, then you'll begin to pray prayers instead of just, Lord, give me lots of money or, Lord, make everything work out for my favor. Instead, you'll start praying prayers like, God, stick a pin in my attitude. Because at work, if we ask people, what is your house associated with? It might be anger or know-it-all or my way. Or the highway. Maybe what God is wanting to do is make us to be, cause us to be people of prayer so that you and I can pray first, we can humble our heart first and say, God, stick a pin in my pride and check and see if there's a sore or there's a wound. Stick a, a pin in this relationship that I'm in because maybe I don't know the condition of my heart. God, stick a pin in my agenda. God, stick a pin in my New Year's resolutions. Oh, what would happen if this room alone and the homes joining us around the world, people would shift instead of me first, would pray first and humble first. What would happen to your agenda, to your relationships, to your workplace, to your finances if suddenly you and I would humble our hearts and say, God, stick a pin. And we'd pray prayers like David prayed in Psalm 139 when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. Why don't you do something right now? Just close your eyes. Why don't you just say, God, is there an area that he needs to look at your heart and stick a pin in? Why don't you just ask him? Why don't you pray that prayer? Why don't you pray first? Why don't you humble your heart first and say, God, stick a pin? Where does he need to stick a pin? Where do you need to sense that God might be leading you? I love the passage in Psalms, Psalms 151, when he says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh 
God. God will not reject a heart of prayer. What would happen in the Santa Clarita Valley? What would happen in your school? What would happen if you and I would pray first and humble our heart first? You know what we begin to do? We begin to sing songs like this. We begin to sing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble, humble cry. Because while on others thou art calling do not do not pass pass me by I'm calling you or Saugus or Canyon Country or Castaic or Stevenson Ranch Santa Clarita Palmdale, Lancaster Los Angeles, California the United States of America North America, South America Europe, Asia God don't pass us by what would happen? what would happen? relationships what would happen in your life if we could pray first if we could humble our heart first what does the Bible say humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up we want to get up so quick but what is humility it means to bow down we're so quick to get up and I think what God's saying to us is just get down get on your knees get on your knees Pray first. Humble your heart first. Oh, that people, if they say one thing that I can say about Wayman Ming Sr., my dad, if there's one word that I think of when I think of Wayman Ming Sr., I think prayer. I know one day he, he's going to go on to see the Lord one day, hopefully a long time from now, but I'm going to tell you the thing I know I'm going to miss the most is knowing that every morning at 6 a.m. he's on his knees calling out my name and my children and my, grand, and my grandchildren to come and all, all of the things that are involved and connected to my life, he's praying first. I'm tired of people associating with the church judgment with the church hypocrisy. Oh, that we would arise and be known as the church prayer. The church prayer. A home of prayer. A home of prayer. A house of prayer.
I want you to stand to your feet. I dare you. I dare you. I double dog, I triple dog dare you. What kind of house are you going to be? What kind of home are you going to be in 2016? You're going to act first? You're going to plan first? Or are you going to pray first? We just reach out. I know some people are uncomfortable lifting their hands, but you know, the, Paul said that when we pray, we should lift our hands without fear or wrath. So let's just do what Paul suggested. I'll encourage you to do that. Physically, you can't. We understand. But God, I'm asking you, change us. Reprogram us to be people of prayer first. Pray first. We humble our heart first. Not me first, but you first. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Let us be people of prayer. A home, a house of prayer. Before our meetings, before our agendas. Lord, that we would pray, that we would trust in you, that we would touch your heart, God, and show us, Lord, stick a pin. Stick a pin in our pride. Stick a pin, Lord, in our selfishness like the the people that were around the temple. They were so caught up in making a buck and, and getting ahead, God, that they didn't make your house a house of prayer. God, change us. I can't do it, but you can. So, Lord, as we ask you, as we call upon you, as we cry out to you, do the thing that only you can do inside the heart of your people right here at Higher Vision and around the world that we would be people of 